0: Welcome to the Global Fluency Podcast. This is a space we've created to explore the components of diversity, inclusion, and cultural competency. Cultural competency. And all of the ways in which these components present themselves in our professional and personal lives. Be it language, culture, socioeconomic class, gender, race, ability level, age, or so many other identifiers. Everything begins with a conversation. Join us in this space where we seek to empower, educate, and uplift by creating authentic conversations on issues that affect us every day in every way. We look forward to you joining us in our discussions with everyone from thought leaders, diversity and inclusion strategists, students to CEOs in the corporate, education, and nonprofit sectors. Let's discuss how we can better understand differences and leverage commonalities. Let's do away with political correctness, explore ideation, build community, and create allies. Let's start an authentic conversation. This is the Global Fluency Podcast. And this is Bertine Crevacore West.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Global Fluency Podcast. My name is Bertine Cremacourt-West, and I'm delighted to be your host today. And so today I have a very special guest with me, Dr. Diam Mooney, who is an industrial and organizational psychologist. And so, Dr. Mooney, can you please say hi to our guests and tell us where you're calling from or where we're interviewing you from?
2: Sure, sure. Hello from Maryland. I'm currently living in Maryland right now.
1: Excellent, excellent. Okay, so we do have listeners in Maryland. My best friend (laughs) is one of them. So shout out to everybody who's listening in Maryland. And so I'm just going to jump in and tell everybody a little bit about you. So Dr. Mooney is an organizational and industrial psychologist with specializations in human-computer interaction, research and development, organizational service design, and talent management. He's served as the senior-level transformational leader for the past eight years, acting as chief operations officer, chief people officer, and now chief experience officer. He's a serial entrepreneur who started and led several successful businesses from $0 to $1 million. Yes, everybody, I said a million. So his leadership focuses have always been on talent development. He's a professional coach and psychologist, and he uses his expertise in the field to facilitate growth amongst employees. Dr. Mooney has experience in working with e-commerce, government, healthcare, and technology. He's a hybrid OD and UX strategist that is comfortable employing sound methodologies to maximize user experience, system design, product management, employer branding, and workforce development. Dr. Mooney, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. Oh, my gosh. So first, I want to just start off, before we even get to the questions, because for some of our listeners, tell them, what does an industrial and organizational
2: psychologist do? Sure, sure. Um, So it's very broad because it's a a very vast field, um, a lot of subcategories under it. Um, So essentially, we are business psychologists um, with us, our demographics that we focus on being workplace um, settings. So for me, my focus a lot on employees and then job seekers, whether it be trying to understand, you know, some of the experiences that you face while you're a job seeker and you're interacting with organizations, your level of engagement after you are employed, understanding how satisfied you are um, with training programs. So basically it's just using psychological principles in order to better understand humans in work environments. So it's very, very broad what that could mean from learning development, from onboarding, from, like I said, um candidate experience when you're applying for jobs and you're online and trying to fumble around from that retention, you know, very, very broad.
1: <laughs> yes, indeed. It sounds like a lot to do.
2: <laughs> it can be, yes. Depending on the project you're on, you could end up doing a whole lot of different things. And for IO psychologists, generally speaking, when we're on projects working with a company, you're not... And I have you wear many different hats. So you could be an HR manager, you could be a recruitment specialist, you could be, you know, a journalist of some sort. So a lot of times when you're on a project, your title is simply dependent on whatever you're focusing on on that level.
1: Okay, okay. And since you said off air, I can call you DM, I'm going to go ahead and do that. Yes,
2: DM is fine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I do always want to give you your props, your respect, your credit for that degree, for the PhD, because I know the work that is involved in all of that. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Sure, of course, I appreciate that.
1: Congratulations on that. Congratulations on that. That is huge, because here at Westbridge and at Global Fluency Podcast, we really believe that representation matters. And so one of the reasons why I reached out to you and you graciously accepted to come on the show, which I'm so thankful for, um, is because you had had a post on there that said, this is what a psychologist looks like. And I remember like that knocked me off my feet because I was like, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I want to see. That's what we as a society need to see, right? Because people are out there that look like you. And I think a lot of them may not even know that there are others that exist. So that you shine the light on that was really not only refreshing for me to see, but also empowering. And, and it was informative because then I started to think about it. Yeah. Usually when I do hear people with that title of organizational psychologist, because that's what I hear more than industrial. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, okay. It's good to have the explanation. But when I, if I hear that, I don't see people that look like you, right? Yeah, of course. And, and I don't <laughs> What I mean? My clients don't either. <laughs> and I can imagine that they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. And just with my name being what it is, when people see my name, they expect somebody who looks completely different. Sure, um, they expect somebody sense. who probably you know, has a, a French accent or something like that. And then when they're like, oh, I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> so I can only imagine that you get that as well.
2: I do. Yes. Once they get past not being able to pronounce it, yes, that does usually come as well. As well.
1: Yes, yes. And, and, you know, we have to teach people that we are not different per se, right? That, that we are actually the norm. And I say to people all the time, I love diversity, equity, and inclusion work. I will be delighted when the need for it no longer exists. But exactly. I don't see that happening anytime soon. <laughs> so here we are on this podcast interview.
2: Sure, of course. <laughs> so
1: then, D.M., you know, tell us a bit more about your professional background and your training and how this all came about. Sure.
2: So professional background, I got my start in my career um, actively in the Navy. So I started as a business analyst um, where I did a lot of requirements gathering, basically working with you know business owners and stakeholders behind the scenes and trying to figure out what does a process or system or product need in order to meet the business needs? And so I did a, quite a bit of that, ended up working with a lot of development teams, you know, for software development um, in order to, of course, build out some of these websites and apps required for businesses to meet their, their goals. And during the time, I worked for a lot of federal agencies. So I kind of bounced around, you know, worked for FBI, NSA, CIA, different agencies during, in my role. Um, during my time working as a business analyst, I got introduced to user experience research and design. So basically what UX research and design does is the opposite of me, where I'm focusing on as BA more um, the stakeholders and business owner needs, the user experience research teams, they focus on the end user. So the consumer, the employee, um, the person who has to actually interact with whatever it is that we're building. So at first I was kind of like, okay, well, I see that's kind of significant, but at the end of the day, this person's buying the product, this person, the business is well, who has to actually sign the checks. So, you know, mm-hmm. I was like, it sounds good, it's fun, whatever, but... I wasn't until I actually started really interacting with the UX team that I started seeing the value and how it impacted um, the retention and adoption and engagement of the products and services and systems that we were building. So during a time, actually, I was in school for computer engineering. I decided to switch to psychology. So I'm like, you know what? This is actually something I care more about, the human-computer interaction, the, you know, the human interaction with whatever it is that I'm trying to develop. Because at the end of the day, my goal here even then was to develop a system or process or tool that helps these people do their jobs easier or helps the consumer to you know whatever task they're trying to complete so went to school for psychology and um I realized pretty early on that the use of psychological principles with technology um and digital integration was actually pretty new like no one really started really considering how do you use psychology to really um understand user user behavior. So, cause this was back in 2000, like 2011, 2012. So I was like, okay, I'm going to start focusing on that. So I went to get my master's degree in, in computer science because I still wanted a solid understanding of, you know, of the backend. Um, but then continued on to get my PhD in IO psychology because I decided my focus that I wanted to spend would be not so much on the consumer side of things, but the internal facing systems. So helping with tools like my dissertation, actually, topic was on e-recruitment. So how online applications actually hinder um, job seekers from being able to apply. The stereotype is always that, like, well, if they're not willing to fill out this long application, then they're not really, you know, worthy because they are, they didn't put enough effort into applying for a job. When really studies show that top talent, the people who are most qualified, are actually least likely to be engaged with a long resume. I mean, long applications are like, well, I don't need to do this. Or passive candidates are less likely to because they're like, well, I'm not gonna going to go 50 pages. So the very people that you're wanting to recruit and to attract are the very people you're deterring from your complicated application online. So basically, that's that's what I do. I go in and evaluate from a user perspective how an organization's systems, so online applications, you know, internal data collection or data entry tools, whatever you're using to, to do your job, processes. So that can go for policies that could go from you know, onboarding, whatever the process you have established in your company. And then any kind of tools, you know, it could be physical tools. So more industrial, that's where the industrial piece comes in. The, industri- the chairs, the organization of the rooms, all of that, how those impact your employee and your job seeker or your trainee um, in being able to do their jobs well, the satisfaction for how happy they are with the company, how, they, how that reflects on the employer's brand, you know, and helping them basically make recognitions to improve it. So a lot of process management for me.
1: You have dropped so many gems. I am loving (laughs) all of that. First of all, the, the acronym, the acronyms alone, just because I really want people to, to get a a clear idea of, again, how you are walking representation, right? And so that you were a veteran first, thank you for your service. Thank you. I really do appreciate that. And it's so wonderful when we do have veterans on the show, because I think it, Like for me, it it means a lot. And so I always want to appreciate them and just send a shout out to all of the veterans listening. But that you were in the Navy and then you went to work for the FBI, the NSA, the CIA, those kind of experiences must have been amazing and challenging. Because again, I, I can't imagine that there definitely there are more people that look like you today there, but I can't imagine that still. large
2: number sure no no not at all not not at all definitely um i would say i was pretty siloed though with what i was doing specifically so i wouldn't say that it was something that at the time i was paying much attention to because i work by myself you know it literally was just to me so it's kind of hard to even feel othered when it's only you right Um, (laughs) so with those particular projects and especially working federal with with those particular with, with intel you are kind of by yourself a lot. You kind of like put your head down on mind your business. <laughs> so with those, I would say, actually, as far as speaking like diversity and equity inclusion, I probably feel, felt the less other in those particular projects because you see probably three people and then yeah, that's it. You know, you report to one person and then that's it. <laughs> Versus when I am working with maybe a more public federal agency, like right now I'm working with CMS, SSA. Even mm-hmm. those agencies are, you know, predominantly, you know, white a lot of times. However, I would say they're pretty mixed as far as gender in those types of agencies, I've noticed, um, even though I did research for them. But as far as racially, they are still pretty predominantly white.
1: And can I ask you, DM, for because I just realized this, we people who are listening don't know what you look like. So describe what you look like in your <laughs> sure. own words. To them. Because they must be like, well, what do they mean? <laughs> so describe <sorry about, laughs> sure. that. I forgot the one obvious question.
2: <laughs> yeah, no problem. Um, well, I am African American. I'm actually a first generation American on my dad's side. Um, I am He's Mexican Dominican. Um, and my mom is African American. Um, I have dreadlocks. Actually, I'm a natural redhead, which caused a lot of attention a lot of times. Um uh let's see. I have ear gauges, they're double zeros for anyone who knows what that means, they're pretty big. Um, I have tattoos, visible tattoos on my hands, all of my arms. Um, when I'm wearing a B cut shirt, that actually you can see it on my chest as well, which I do sometimes, it just depends. I wear athletic attire pretty much 24-7, regardless of the meeting I'm with, and I speak with plenty of CEOs, business owners, like I said, federal agencies. They this is this is me, so it's kind of how I come. Yeah. Um, so that's my appearance. I'm actually also autistic as well, so I can have very regular speech patterns, especially when this context and this setting. I've done interviews so often that it's a little bit more natural for me. But if in a social situation that's more, I guess, organic and not as scripted as this one, um, it would be completely different where I already speak fast now, times a thousand in that situation. Very choppy. Or I speak, say nothing. I go nonverbal. Um, mm-hmm. so those can cause some challenges too when people are interacting with me trying to figure out why are you so weird <laughs> and you already look weird, now you act weird. So <laughs>
1: Oh my gosh. Again, so many things that we have a few things in common. Um, my family's from Haiti, but we also have Dominican ancestry on okay. my mom's side. So it's good to meet somebody else that is also from <laughs> that part of the world. And this is another thing when people see me, they they are not quite sure what to think. And and you know, I am clearly a black woman. Um, I, I'm Haitian-American, so not African-American, but I love explaining to them what that difference is, right? Because I I think it's really important for people to, to, like words do matter. And so it's really Mm -hmm. important that we are in charge of our own descriptors. That's why I ask people to describe to me and our audience in your own words. And I also love that, um, and we talked about this um, when we emailed about this, that you mentioned that you were on the autism spectrum. I happen to be the proud mom of an 11-year-old boy on the autism spectrum as well. And so, yeah, he is phenomenal in so many ways. He's just a magical being. And sometimes I'm like, I gave birth to a unicorn because there's (laughs) no one like him in the world. And, you know, the challenges that that can pose are definitely there. But then when we see beyond the challenges, the expectations and and, the expectations that I have for him are what I would have for any child that I'd have. But when I see the talent that is behind you know, so many of his thoughts and his words, and he's limited with his vocabulary right mm-hmm. now in his speech, but as he's gotten older, it's gotten progressively better. And I'm okay. I dealt with the same.
2: Actually, I had a, I had a speech pathologist as a kid. Um, I was nonverbal until like six, five or six wow. school. And yeah, and I, they went to speech therapy and coaches and a behavior analyst. Actually, I still actually see one right now. I still see one. Uh, twice a month, every other Monday.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it. And so again, representation, right? Uh, because mm-hmm. when when people hear the diagnosis of autism, too often I find that they treat it as the morning. And that's a natural process to go through, I'm certain. Sure. But it is also a time for us to grow and to learn about autism because it still remains enigmatic in some way. Yeah. Right. And everyone, what does that saying? Once you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism.
2: Exactly. Because we, right? uh, we definitely, it looks different for all of us, you know, absolutely. even in some similarities, like, oh, you guys seem the same this and this. And then we do one thing. It's like, oh, well, that's completely different from right.
1: this person. Completely gone, completely wrong.
2: Every time I get that, every, every single time.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I see it in my own family because my older brother is also on the spectrum. And he was diagnosed much later in life uh, because he was raised predominantly in Haiti. So when he came sure. here, that's when he had a diagnosis. And by then my son was already here with his diagnosis and it became, I was like, oh, that would explain so much in hindsight, even though they're really different, a couple of things they do are the same and, and it's become endearing because I'm like, oh, you do this like your uncle, your uncle, and you have this in common, but also too, it gives you a greater insight into, you know, just the different challenges they may face. So I love that when we were exchanging messages um, that you were first so open about that, which I love. I think it's very important um, because people in the world who have autism are people in the world. Period, mm-hmm. right? And so I always say you don't know who has autism. There's not a look to autism, mm-hmm. right? And so that could exactly. be your college professor, your surgeon, um, the the concert pianist that you're going to see, and it can now be your organizational psychologist, right? Exactly. Exactly. Which I think is wonderful. But what I also love about that that you shared that is I'm a visual learner. And as somebody that trains um, people for a living, what what I have to realize is that there are different learning styles, right? So there's auditory learners, visual learners, kinesthetic learners. So whenever I'm training in person in particular, um, I make certain to make those accommodations. And I know that knowing better ourselves, like Socrates has a quote that I love, know thyself, right? And when you know yourself, you not only... Become give yourself more grace and are able to better maneuver in your own world, but you're able to be more empathetic to others, right? So when you said that, I was like, excellent, here are some questions that I (laughs) plan on asking, you know, and I I tend to do that with um, all of our guests, but I love that when they point that out, because then I'm thinking, okay, I'll put, this is a framework, you know, because we may deviate, because I want everyone to be as prepared as they want. And so sometimes (laughs) we have guests that are like, I don't want to see the questions. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, but at least they told me and I'm like, all right, so, you know, there'll be no surprises. But then I find that actually throws me off because I'm like, uh, all right, then we're just going to go in for it. But I love it when people know themselves, you mm-hmm. know, regardless of what that means, because it's something mm-hmm. different for us all, because then we're able to have an authentic experience where everyone benefits, authentic communication, you yeah, know, and it just makes for a better time.
2: And I feel like, too, for me, and this is something specifically for, like, the challenges I face being autistic, and especially in workplace settings, like, how are I, I get up questions all the time, like, how are you able to work? How do you maintain a job? How do you interact with people with that being the primary issue or, you know, my social interactions? Like, how are you a psychologist at all? And I actually found that being true, like truly doing introspection and saying, okay, what are my limitations? You know, mm-hmm. what are some boundaries? What are some things that are weaknesses for me? And being honest with myself about those things. And like now then writing down, what can I actually improve? You know, mm-hmm. I do have a behavior analyst. You know, we can work on certain things, emotional intelligence. I can ask for support from, say, my wife on certain things, right? But what are some things that are more concrete? By saying that admitting it to myself, no one's telling me from sitting on actually admitting to myself, it was basically able for me to say, okay, I accept this about me. This is, you know, DM, you know, there are great things that come with it. Of course, you know, I am also divine. So like it comes with the, you know, processing information and quickly, but it also comes with, you know, being overstimulated quickly. I can't deal with people touching, you know, all those type of things. I simply kind of just saw it objectively. Saying, this is who DM is. So that way, when I tell other people, again, I'm upfront, I'm like, you know what, this is who I am. You want me because, you know, I'll have the degrees and I have, you know, this ability to do this and, you know, whatever. But it also comes with this as well. Mm-hmm. And I just laid out there at the beginning and I'll say, this is what it looks like for me. Because also, like you said, it looked differently for people. So it's like, okay, autism looks like this for me. I'm unable to do this. I'm able to, I'm good at this. And by come, being upfront with it, I feel like it always kind of gives people the information to look at and go, okay, I understand. I accept that when they actually see it in action, they don't be like, they're not like, well, what's going on? Right. What's happening? <laughs> and yeah. like, or, or be like you. Like, like they can say basically, okay, now I can accommodate. You yeah. know, it gives them the opportunity to build that relationship with you and you're not uncomfortable. You mm-hmm. don't feel like you're othered. You don't feel like, you know, you have to hide who you are. But first it takes you understanding who you are. And that's what I always kind of advocate for um, with people in any kind of diverse setting. If you are the, you know, the minority in any way, accept you first. You have to literally accept who you are then communicate that clearly to the other person and say, what does that look like for me? What do I need in that situation to be able to perform, to coexist, whatever? Mm-hmm. You can't really expect them to automatically know and really just taking control of your own life.
1: Absolutely. And I will say this, I knew this was going to be a great interview. It's, it's everything I had hoped for and more. <laughs> uh, so thank you for that. Thank you for your candor, no your transparency. And I, I really love that you said you have to, you know, this is who I am. This is how I am. Because I think For me, I call that doing an internal SWOT analysis, right? So you know, this is what I'm good at. That's always been my my um my husband likes to at it spot analysis again. I'm like, yes, because we need to take <laughs> a, a check every now and again in trouble, sure, sure. right because our strengths change, our weaknesses change, like things like that change. Sometimes mm-hmm. um the threat would be something internal, like insecurity, or something external, like, oh, you know, my my place of employment or or what have you, you know, fill in the blank. And sometimes sure. the obstacle might be something that was so big to us one day and seemed smaller the other day, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. So I I really appreciate and enjoy when people are able to do that, have a SWOT analysis of themselves. Because I think too many times we're walking through life, right? Just being functional, not really thinking about our mental health, our neurological Mm -hmm. state, our, you know, which I don't think, and unfortunately too, I find that people confuse mental health and neurological conditions. Yes, yes, cognition
2: and mental illness. Yeah, they are different. They are not the same. Yeah, and autism and is not a mental disorder. Autism is not; uh, it's a neurological issue. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of people do confuse us Like, oh, you're mentally ill. Like, well, mental illness associated with it can be like anxiety, which I do feel, you know, and things like that. But the actual diagnosis itself, that is not a mental disorder. So, yes, I, I feel like
1: we've been walking around up. saying the same thing in
2: Maryland and Georgia. Yes, <laughs> yep, same thing. I'm coming? from Alabama originally, so oh, yeah, I know about Georgia. Right? <laughs> been, okay. My grandmother lives in Georgia now, so yes, I. Can
1: oh my it. god. So shout out to all the Georgians listening to this and those <laughs> in as well. But that's exactly it. I used to get frustrated when I heard things on the news about, okay, this person is on the spectrum and they, and so they are mentally ill. And I'm just like, no, this is two different things. They're two right? different. Autism, yep. autism, mental illness can accompany someone who is on the spectrum, but it also mm-hmm. accompanies someone who's neurotypical. Exactly. So we exactly. Have to make those distinctions. And so, you know, I, I thank you for being an advocate for this because again, this has to be shouted from various places and, and careers and perspectives and things like that. So it's important for people to know that because I was kind of doing my own shout as a mom of a child who had to be his advocate so he mm-hmm. can to be a self-advocate. Mm-hmm. And I also think it's, it's really important that particularly um, with children of color that these decisions are very firmly made. And so, and people also too, um, even when we're talking about People who are white, who are lower income, because as data shows us, people who are poor and white, as well as people of color of varying socioeconomic classes are adversely affected by by these misrepresentations. And it shows itself in the classrooms. And and that is a huge problem. So Mm -hmm. I love it when people are are saying what the facts tell us, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Of course, of course. And there's something else I wanted to mention with regard to processes. I I really enjoy that you mentioned processes uh, because I think when you were talking about being really good at something, right? Mm-hmm. For me and, and many people I know, um, it's important to set up processes. And so one of my um, dear friends and colleagues, um, her name is Alicia Butler-Pierre. So I know you're listening, Alicia, hello. <laughs> and so Alicia is, she taught me essentially about what, what to call like my process because before I had the words for it I realized that oh I have a process and one day I forgot to I never codified it so I forgot a step in one of the projects that I was working on and for the life of me I can remember and that's when I I realized how important processes were, you know, even yeah. for having a podcast, even for, you know, running your company or the way you raise your family, everything, mm-hmm. is a process. everything
2: is a process. Exactly. It's how I see the world. Actually, I see things based off of patterns. And so mm-hmm. I build, break everything into steps and processes. So that way it can be repeatable. That's exactly. I understand everything.
1: And by making it repeatable, tell me your opinion. I feel that it removes the anxiety associated with having to do a task. What do you think?
2: Um, I agree. Um, it, yeah, it makes it more predictable. It makes it something that can be measured, quantified. It's something that the, you can make decisions off of because, you know, it won't change. And that's literally where anxiety comes from, those factors right there.
1: Yeah. And I think this this actually does relate to people on the spectrum, but it goes beyond that as well. Because mm-hmm. anybody dealing with any kind of project, whether you're a yes. student, whether you're a corporate professional, the mm-hmm. anxiety that comes with the not knowing uh, sometimes that can be a rush, but most of the time it can be just an emotion killer. I think, yeah. which makes it yeah. so yes. difficult. Which makes it so difficult. Okay, so then we're going to move on to the next question because we kind of talked about well, we did talk about diversity and inclusion because you fit into so many different spaces, yes. which is <laughs> which is phenomenal. But so, with regard to like, your work, like what clear goals has that helped you establish in your work? when you take diversity and inclusion into um, consideration.
3: Now we would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor. Westbridge Solutions is a professional training company focusing on diversity, inclusion, cultural competence, and soft skills trainings. Westbridge Solutions offers a variety of innovative training courses, both in-person and online, live and self-paced. Their clients include corporations, Government organizations, healthcare organizations, the nonprofit sector, universities, and individuals such as yourself. Through their rigorous training programs, trainees learn to understand differences, leverage commonalities, and achieve organizational, professional, and personal actualization. To learn more about Westbridge Solutions, please feel free to visit their website at www.westgrouptraining.com or follow them on social media on Facebook and Instagram. Westbridge Solutions, empowering professionals for success.
2: Well, I would say that I'm actually fairly new to considering the diversity, and equity, and inclusion aspect in my work specifically as an employer and more in the hiring side of things, because I just recently started my own business where I have other employees. Because before I was working independently um, for very, you know, for the past 10, almost 10 years now doing it all by myself. So I, again I was kind of just a romance show, minding my own business type of deal. So aside from projects I worked with where you know I was doing a, you know, an employee engagement survey where I was sent, I was more like just data to me. Like okay, the data shows, you know, you have 99 percent white and 1% other you know, it was always just numbers. Only recently has it become something that is like the forefront of my mind as far as my actual company's vision, you know, our mission, you know, decision-making and where I started my own company. And, you know, I started considering like, how do I want to hire and how do I make sure that I am considering or providing opportunities to those who look like me? Because basically my philosophy here, and this is just kind of how I've learned from my life experiences is, That a lot of people, you know, who are in minority groups, you know, whether it be very poor, like I came up, grew very, very poor in rural Alabama, or you know, autistic, or person of color, or you know, whatever, having parents who, you know, who aren't educated, all those different things—that those are roadblocks. Those are not indications of the success that that person really has. It's not as far as you know their abilities or their proficiencies. A lot of times the reason why everything's so skewed as far as how much they're able to earn or how you know a of education, what they're able to do in life is based off of opportunity or the lack of opportunity. Yeah. Um so I realized, you know, every every step of the way growing up, I was told, you know what, you know, you're a poor kid, you're not gonna do very much because that's just the way it's, you know, it's just hard for in America, the, the gap, the wage gap, right? You know, everyone talks about wage gap, like so it's gonna be hard for you then you know autism that di- um, di- autism um, diagnosis you're not gonna have a family you're not gonna be able to maintain certain relationships because again i was my ver- uh, my verbal skills were very bad my uh, being able to interact with people was very bad i can actually not really i have to work remotely so much so because i have a hard time with it so like you're not gonna be able to have a relationship i'm gonna raise a family i'm gonna be able to keep a job and then you know so basically it was stacked on we're basically like you know you're not gonna be able to do all these things and from learning that basically because i was able to do every single thing that they told me i could not do i'm realizing basically like well These, you know, kids or these young adults who are being told the exact same thing I was told, you know, a lot of times they also not only is it their confidence, you know, that's completely, you know, terrible because they've been told they can't do it. They're also not being given opportunities because other people see them that way. No one's going to give, you know, that, you know, black poor kid the same opportunity they would, you know, a rich white person. So what I feel like my stance in my company is doing is like you know, we already are hard on ourselves believing we can't do something and the world sees it the same way. So therefore we don't fight for opportunities because we thought we don't deserve it. And then the world sees us as you're not deserving of this opportunity. So Mm -hmm. my company, I'm like, I'm going to give an opportunity to these very people who have no experience, who, you know, may not have the education, you know, that I have, because I don't think that a PhD is required to do do my job. Uh, You know, I think that there are certain skills you learn from education doesn't mean that it's everything is required. But I, my organization is around the idea of training those who do not have the opportunity or who are not presenting opportunities. We aren't giving handouts in our life and raising, uplifting them to where they can then go off to other companies and do have that to go behind them. You know, they already are going up an uphill battle. My company is used as like a stepping stone to say, now you have projects on your bill. Now you've been paid the industry standard for your internship. Because I, I hate internships, by the way, I yeah. despise them. <laughs> <I'm> but gonna... <laughs> your experience, I will still pay you the industry standard so you know what you're worth going in. You know, as far as, you know, how do you how do you build or how do you whatever those those soft skills that required though to be successful, providing them with all of that. So that way, next time they're going for something, they qualify not for the entry level position, but the mid level or the senior level. So that way, people who are in minority groups and who look like me aren't positioning themselves to go into the world and say, look, you know, we're not going for the behind scenes. You know, you take all the credit work. I'm going to be in a leadership role now that I'm in the industry. That's kind of what I my company is around is the idea of giving those without opportunities their entire life an opportunity. You know, I don't feel like there. I don't feel like companies or employers should feel like the, the employee or the contractor owes them loyalty in order to pre- help them with professional development. You know, I feel like developing a, another person has nothing to do with them signing a contract saying. I'm never going to leave you. I'm a W-2 and that's it, you know? So I actually prefer them actually being 1099s. The reason why is because they're flexible on their schedules. They don't have to come in and do anything with me specifically. As long as they deliver, what they say they're going to deliver, fine with me. They can work any other project they want, you know, because that's, again, it's not a conflict of interest to me. And again, they have that flexibility to be able to really control their titles, their job titles, because Mm -hmm. if with me, I don't give them an official job title, whatever you deem is going to help you with your next career, that's what job title you are. As long as, again, you deliver and it's within what you are delivering, then I will even give you a letter of recognition saying, yes, this person was in this role and they did these things for me. And I will talk about their service. I'll talk about the delivery. What, you know, so that's kind of how I look at it, again, from the aspect of, you know, a lot of people like my company here is actually 54 percent like African or black, not African-American necessarily, but black. And, you know, the second highest is actually Hispanic with, you know, I like white being next and then like 9 percent Asian. So it kind of breaks down there. Mm-hmm. And I try to be diverse, even in gender. So we actually have more women than we do um, men on the team. You know, and I kind of just research here is probably because of this topic you know, with research and um, consulting. I'm not really sure. I didn't actually, that wasn't intentional. Kind of just happened that way. So I was looking into how that happened. Um, and even neurodiversity, you know, with, um, I'm trying to have like, I think like 20%, you know, neurodiverse, you know, versus 80% so as a neurotypical. Um, and even gender identity, you know, just trying to track that and seeing how that, you know, impacts, you know, my company. Like, okay, you know, we do have um, people in, uh, who identify as, like, non-binary, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I realized that one of my projects, you know, someone came on and they were referring to themselves as they. And I tried to understand better, how, you know, how to accommodate for that. And then now I'm looking at it organizational-wide. Like, how do we make sure that we accommodate even their needs and the differences and you know, how they feel? Because we don't want to other them either, right. you know, um, because that then impacts you know, their development, their growth in the company, their delivery, their productivity as well. So I look at diversity and equity and inclusion from a lot of different angles, trying to make sure that I consider the, all the different aspects and components that come with it and then look at that as, okay, um, how can I best help them grow? And that's kind of, again, how I root my company.
1: That's phenomenal. And again, dropping so many jewels that I am just <laughs> Like, delighted to see. First, I'm going to go back to what you were talking about with regard to expectations and opportunity, right? Because I always used to find, um, and I'm only bringing my son up for comparison because you both are on the spectrum and sure. where you are is where I see him going. And that takes support, community, love, understanding, all of those things, right? And opportunity. So I always, you know, say to people, I want this kid to give me four grandchildren and an awesome in-law and, you know, so I can, you know, bask in their love and then he can do whatever he wants. Right. (laughs) And so I found that, you know, people would look at me strangely if I expressed Mm -hmm. that, you know, I believe that he's going to go to college, if I expressed that he's going to have a family and a Mm loving spouse, if I expressed any of those things that wouldn't be looked at twice if he were neurotypical. Mm -hmm. And I found that to be really disheartening um, because then they're putting an expectation on a child before he's even grown.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And And then, yeah, taking a step further, though, is the opportunity piece, though, like how they look at him. If they say they say they had a scholarship, they had a job opportunity. They would not give it to him because of their own expectations of him. That's where the part really comes in.
1: Absolutely. And I find that this happens as they're adults, but when they're children, in the things that you wouldn't think would happen tend to happen. And, and you know, this it might make you recall things that have happened in your past. But um, for instance, you know, he's self-taught in piano. He has perfect mm-hmm. pitch.
2: So- well, Me as well, Yep.
1: Yeah. Right? It's, yeah. and, and to me, that's like finding a rare gem because how many people just randomly have perfect pitch? You know, yeah. I, I know you know the, the stats and numbers more than likely, but, yeah. but a small percentage of the population, right? And it's a skill that can be honed in on. And while he's um, playing, let's say, an app, uh, a piano app on the tablet, then he'll have an iPad where he's playing a video game uh, with accuracy. And I, for the life of me, could not do that if you paid me a billion dollars. And I love that it's something that's so natural for him because again, this is information, music is math. You know, so I was just like, there's
2: patterns, so these, yep,
1: exactly. Patterns, right? And so that's why your journey in particular is is so very, I think, profound and wonderful and that you're able to have all these things shouldn't be extraordinary or the extreme this should be the normal and the regular right exactly Exactly. and and that's the goal when you give people an opportunity you know so i'll tell you for his um last birthday we had him play at an open mic night where it was open to the public and here's this little kid playing this piano and in front of all these grown-ups and they're loving it and this is what can happen, you know, when you give kids an opportunity. But I also feel that we have to continuously push for, for them to be seen. So even yeah. when he's meeting a teacher, I'm like, this is a picture of him, you know, if I'm meeting the teacher first, this is his name, this is what he can do, you know. And autism, not to diminish the profound effects that autism can have on a child and their development, but autism is a characteristic and a condition. And it's not to be one that's limiting. And so, you know, when other people see you and that you are candid about your autism diagnosis, which I also think is very important, um, this creates a broader expectation, a realistic expectation of who can become what. And essentially, so many people can become whatever they want, right? Exactly. And it's about that opportunity. So I love that in your company that you're cognizant of that. And you take active strides to do that. And what I'm particularly impressed by, and and I may borrow this from you, DM, is that you (laughs) let people create their own titles because I love working with consultants um, because I too started out as I've been doing this for, I want to say, since I was pregnant with my son. So basically for the past 11 years. And, you know, it's, it's just, I don't know, it's just how I would operate when I was growing the business. So congratulations first. On um, venturing out on your own totally. I think it's amazing. And I, agree, I love it. the entrepreneurial life. It's got its peaks and valleys, but it's still worth yeah, it.
2: Yeah. I, right? I love it. I love it.
1: <laughs> I, I can't even go to no
2: nine 5 Yeah, I can't I don't even think it's in me to do a five. So
1: right. I don't know that I could ever do that again. And I yeah. changed the company because well I created the company because I was pregnant with my son and I said, well, mm-hmm. I want him to be proud of his mom and to see that women can, right? And by can, fill in the blank, do whatever you want. Just mm-hmm. like with autism, you can do what you want, but that requires again, like like it did for me, opportunity, allyship, you know, which should be active support, mm-hmm. sponsorship, community. Like there's so many things that are required to make us who and and how and what we are to be our very best. So I do love that you mentioned 1099s instead of W2s because really we do want people to to be with us for time. But I think any company that doesn't want to grow and grow its employees and help them mm-hmm. evolve or grow their team and help them evolve is a company that is going to become stagnant and exactly just
2: exactly all by the way
1: right mm-hmm. so exactly. i love that model that you have and i'm gonna borrow it
2: no, <laughs> so no, no problem no problem i'm gonna be like what's your title gonna be today who wants what you know exactly and i do it even at a project level like literally you know what will help you advance your career and mm-hmm. then from that title too i even go okay so we like do a gap analysis right then and there like from this title from where, and then your experience, what training do you need? And so a lot of my my uh, when I, my company does is we'll do like uh, the remote trainings. So a lot of times with especially I would say the most training for my company is always around research because it's something that is a lot of times like specialized and you you know have to go to grad school for it. Not everyone can afford grad school. So I should do a lot of training, you know, that kind of like simplifies the idea of, you know, more complicated, complex um, research, because mm-hmm. a lot of people are like, well, you know, I really want to get into the, you know, a senior analyst role, which requires some of that background. So what I'll do is I'll have, a, if I have a project that's available, I'm like, okay, I have a project that requires, you know, some senior analysts and a researcher, you mm-hmm. know, what I'll do is I'll open it for everyone on, you know, as far as, you know, who's in my applicant pool, because they're all 1099s, they're all kind of, you know, jumping on projects they see fit. I open it up so, like, here's a link. Anyone who wants to join this can sit on this call. So everyone technically learns, and then out of those people who attended, I'm like, okay, you guys are now you have the training now to take this project on. Now who has availability and the desire to do so? Now I know that I've already done one training as far as onboarding. So everyone and my team gets that free development. But mm-hmm. then of course now the people with availability and the time and whatever else is required, they are the ones who then are on the project. You know, sometimes I need four of them. Mm-hmm. 20 people could attend the training and four of them are chosen but then also for the next time that comes up they don't need to t- attend the training more like oh or they can, if they want to but they've already sat in the training so they're like okay you know what i can take this one on dm i don't even need training i sat in your last one you know or right. they can take that training go somewhere else if they want to they're right. not restricted to just working with me so now this person you know who did not have the opportunity to have formal training you know at some fancy school they now have the tool set to say i have a framework that i can use because i give them t- save them templates they're like attached, I'll send attachments into the training. Like, here you go. And here's a walk you step by step. They take notes. They record videos. I'll, I'll upload the video so they have access to it. They can practice. I'll tell them to like, look at that video. Now think about your experience. Now frame your experience around this, what I'm just telling you. I'm walking through a process. You likely have done it, but you never thought about it that way. I'm telling you, this is how the lingo goes. This is how the process goes. So to yeah. make it look like what they're expecting you to reframe your experience around this, 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 and this, that's basically what I'm doing for them. So they take that and they go anywhere they want to with it and get other projects, basically, because I've now helped them reframe their experiences you know, in their portfolios. So that's kind of how I go about it. Again, where I'm growing, I'm trying to help develop everyone on the team versus just saying, who's my employee? You have this title, so you get it. No, join the call if you want to. If you don't, that's fine. You know, <laughs> Whoever wants to, and if you not want to be a senior analyst, because you got the training to go for it, put it on your title and put it on your portfolio senior analyst. And as long as you deliver, you have to deliver on that project for me to write, sign off on it. But as long as you deliver, you will have me sign off on it saying, yes, for eight months, this person did execute this, this, and this. And this portfolio, I'm looking at it. It is what would happen. And I completely do that to help them get on the project.
1: That is a fantastic model. And I was taking to notice why you were saying all of that. Because, like, for me, again, because I'm a visual learner, I'm picturing it in my mind, what you're saying. <laughs> and so that's because that's also how I remember things. If I visualize them, then I can remember them right? Mm-hmm. And it's odd, but it has been good to me. <laughs> so, yeah. it's my, And I realized that that's my way of processing. So what I'm seeing from this is that you're creating an opportunity for them. And through the, the training that you're providing for them, you're providing clarity, right? Yes. to what is required of them, what the expectation is. And and I'm going to, you know, quote my little guy on this one, because, you know, his Spider-Man says, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. As he gets older, I'll let him know it was Voltaire, but right now we're sitting <laughs> in society. So, you know, <laughs> I, I really believe that is a thing because then you said with avail- that creates the availability and the desire for them. And then, so in that, I see empowerment, right? Mm-hmm. Because that, if you're, if you're giving them this information, they're going to be feeling empowered to make a decision. And with yep. this decision, I'm mommy. You know, so, with, with that empowerment that you're giving them, then they can go off and either they can jump on the project, as you were mm-hmm. saying right? And then this prepares them for the future. So uh, that's a future with multiple possibilities. So Mm -hmm. I'm a comic book fan, so I will always have a comic book (laughs) reference. So that provides them with multiple possibilities. So they can stay with you and your company, or they can move on and and claim that senior title. So again, going Mm -hmm. back to- Or do both. (laughs) Or do both, or do both. And that goes back to, you know, with great power, which is empowerment, comes responsibility, Mm -hmm. right? So now that they've that project, that requirement. Now that they have that training to do all that, now the title is theirs in name as in well, as well as indeed.
2: Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: That's
2: fantastic. Exactly. So again, closing that gap between them not having the opportunity to get that first shot, you know, it's not saying that they could not do it in the first place. You know, um, a lot of actually the people on my team, they'll have master's degrees and, you know, so like that they never got the first opportunity. And mm-hmm. Like, you know, a lot of times I actually have I've spoken, especially with the women that their names, you know, are, you know, looking at the resume like, oh, well, you know, a lot of times with my name and automatically they kind of scrap it and they've had these terrible experiences, you know, with like sexual harassment and all the things you know dealing with this so they couldn't even get their foot in the door right. you know and i'm like to be honest with how i even hire i don't even see them until actually they're on the project i don't see what they look like because how i have it is um it's a form that they fill out and all like the questions aren't each about their experience i don't actually ask how many experience you have or what your previous shot titles i don't really care my right. whole premise here is development so it's not what you already know it's what you're willing to learn right. you know so everything is about like what are your encourages? What do you see yourself? You know, like as far as where do you want to be? What jobs do you want to hold? You know, what training do you need? That's how I look at it. So, technically speaking, I w- I never actually see. I don't even see LinkedIn's. I don't even see who they are until after the project. And we're sitting here like, okay, now you're assigned this. You know, assigned this, and they're actually you know a lot of people say like, that's refreshing because you know, like well, you know, we didn't get this opportunities because they saw us and you know we're we're black, like you said, like you know we're from different you know countries or whatever the case may be. And to be honest, it's not a consideration for me because again, it's not about what you already have, what you already know. It's about what you're willing to, to learn and grow into um, and how I can help you get there. And if I have the resources to get you there, you know, mm-hmm. that's a bigger thing for me is do I have the resources? If you want to do something, maybe that's in, I don't know, communications, I'm probably not your guy. So I would actually refer you to someone else like, hey, look, there's an expert who can help you because mm-hmm. I don't really work on a project like that, or I don't have the expertise to give it to you. Right. I don't want to stifle you either. So that's how I look at it is like, can I actually, do I have the resources to actually help you or not? Um, and that's how I kind of set them up with projects based off of that ability.
1: So it sounds like to me, you're interviewing potential to be developed, right? Yes. Um, As opposed to, as opposed to Mm -hmm. just, okay, this is what you're capable of thus far Mm -hmm. in this point in time. And I I always think that when we just look at what a person is doing, like my mom used to say, dress for the position that you want, not the position that you have. Yeah. Right. And so Mm -hmm. it takes me back and dress in this time, in this, in context of this conversation means... Prepare yourself, open yourself up to the possibilities mm-hmm. of what exists. Because exactly, I think yeah. people continuously see themselves in a box, especially if they have the same job after the same job, mm-hmm. same type of job, they don't know that they can become X, so much y, more. Z, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. When you go back to lingo, um, I was an interpreter for 10 years. And so the importance of words, um, I was also a, an American who was born here, but didn't speak English till I was five. You know, okay. so understanding. And remembering what it's like to learn English, right? Um, To to acquire language, which is what we actually do, right? And then to learn the meaning of things and and all of that. The importance of knowing the lingo is the best way, I think, to get people into those circles even mm-hmm. before you're the position, exactly. right? Yep. Because then that lets people know you actually know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You can participate actively and proactively in a conversation exactly. which builds the relationships, which may lead to the next position.
2: Yes, exactly. Because the thing about it is you can, have, you can have the exact experience that someone needs, but if you're using different jargon or different lingo and you're framing the experience differently than you're used to, it could be the exact same thing. And they're like, yeah, no, no experience, you know? And so right, basically all right. I'm doing is, again, I'm just helping them to reframe their experiences, reframe their job, title, reframe their language and say like, you have it already. Um, Here's a little bit of training, you know, very specific project or specific industry. Because my company, we do, I can have federal and public and um, public companies or private companies or apps and processes, HR. We do so many different things that it does allow for someone to like, okay, I would like to get more experience in HR and I want to learn that language. So the narrative, you know, it's completely different because now it's organizational development and it's more applicant tracking systems. Versus, I want to get involved with, you know, something federal where the language is a totally different thing. Ballpark, even though how, again, I am creating most of these processes. They're the same, but the language is different, and maybe one step is a little different, you know. And it's, so that's basically what they're learning. And they're seeing um, how that actually um, all works. So, yeah, that's pretty much pretty much how it works.
1: But I love that. By creating the lingual, you are also creating then another another layer of opportunity, but you're also shifting not only the mindset of the people who are, that are doing the interviewing and, and seeing these potential candidates, but the mindsets of the candidates themselves as to their potential mm-hmm. that is huge. Because what exactly. did Nelson Mandela say? If you speak to a man in a language he understands, you speak to his brain, but if you speak to him in his own language, you speak to his heart, right? Yeah. Um, so I feel like this is why, like, learning the lingo that's appropriate to a particular field is so important. So I really love that you mentioned that. And so, DM, time has gone even quicker than I could have <laughs> even imagined because you're you're such a great conversationalist. And, and thank you for sharing your experience with us and our listeners. But what are two things, in, in closing, what are two things that you'd like to impart upon our listeners?
2: Okay, one thing I would say, because we talked a lot about, you know, um, like with the autumn specifically, and you mentioned it even with your son and his abilities. One thing I like to always kind of bring up, especially with me specifically, is that I don't ever want, though, to be seen as more of a poster child or like this uplifted, you know, to be like, this is a representation of what we should look like or what we mm-hmm. should be doing, whether it be Black, you know, or Black men, you know, first generation Americans, autistic, whatever the case may be you do not have to have a PhD on um, multiple degrees on your wall. You don't have to be successful business owner, entrepreneur, the most smartest person in the room in order for you to have value for you to matter um, and for you to be treated with respect for your voice to be heard. So mm-hmm. I, I like to always say that because when I know so a lot of these interviews, people talk about, you know, all of my accolades, you know, not so much for this one as much as some other ones, mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, especially when a person of color is not interviewing me. But usually the focus is on all the things that I've accomplished and how I have, you know, beat adversity and beat all of this. And I want to make sure that it is known that I do not believe that you need to do this. You don't need to be a Superman. You don't have to have be savant, essentially, is what she's describing, you know, with our abilities to process information, do multiple tasks, play instruments, because I do. I play piano. I play all string instruments. I can draw recall, perfect recall. That is not required for you to still matter. If you just still take the same space that I take up, that's mm-hmm. not required. So I like to always just kind of say that when it, you know at the end of these interviews, because you still matter just as much to me. You should still be granted the same opportunities that I can. I mean, I have been I'm um, granted. And again, you have a voice. Please take up more space.
1: <laughs> I love <laughs> um, it. Thank you for saying that too, because I, I do think it's important for us to not deify people because mm-hmm. it's that it's that um, what you call it, it's that relatability. That I think opens the door and creates yeah. space in that particular mm-hmm. room, right? So exactly. I'm grateful that you said that. And I thank you so much. Tell our listeners where they can get in contact with you. Tell them about your company, what's your website. Sure. Go for
2: um, it. Sure. Uh, well, LinkedIn, probably the easiest way to reach me, just Pia Mooney. I think I'm like the only one. <laughs> the does have a unique name. And I mean, really, I guess it's just kind of. On there, I have information of as far from my company. If you're interested in you know being a, a consultant for me or a project, you know uh, my link to my website is actually on my LinkedIn as well.
1: Wonderful, wonderful. So, DM Mooney, Doctor DM Mooney, thank you <laughs> so much for being a guest on the Global Fluency Podcast. It really, truly was a pleasure having you on the show. And thank you for I really having you me, sharing your time and your expertise, and just enlightening and educating our audience. And and I again say, representation matters. So I'm glad that you're creating space for so many people to really have a voice, have an opportunity and change the mindset. Of course, of course. Thank so, for exactly. everyone listening, of course, of course. So for everyone listening on the Global Fluency podcast, remember, this is your podcast. So let us know what you thought about this episode. keep the conversation going, have this conversation with your virtual cup of coffee at your virtual water coolers or wherever you are. We want you to stay safe. and we want you to continue to let us know who you like to see on the Global fluency podcast. So again, special thanks to Dr. Dia Mooney. Thank you and. And so keep the conversation going, everybody. I've been Bertine Primacore West and delighted to be your host.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Global Fluency Podcast. Tune in every Tuesday of the month at 10 a.m. for our latest episode. Connect with us on our social media. You can find us on Facebook at Global Fluency Podcast and on Instagram at Westbridge Solutions, LLC. Global Fluency Podcast. Understanding differences, leveraging commonalities. Let's keep the conversation going, going, going.